Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, my name is Aaron, and I'm really happy to get to share God's word with you today. We'll be in Genesis chapter 6, so you can start heading that way. We're in a series called Presence, and we're looking at the presence of God. And today I want to emphasize a part of scripture that points out this being the title, the sensitivity and judgment of his presence. The sensitivity and judgment of his presence. So we're like calling you to connect with God's presence. And that's a good thing. But to understand God's presence, we have to see the full scope of who he is. I went to a Christian university in the Midwest. And we had something that was, uh, I mean, kind of lame. And in some ways it was a dorm devotional, like once a month or once a week. I can't quite remember. But it's kind of exactly what you're imagining. People just kind of went into the meeting room and someone did a Bible study and it didn't feel significant. Well, one week they said, everybody has to be here, which was interesting because it was already a mandatory compulsory kind of a Bible study. But they're like, really be here this week. Don't skip because the president of the college is coming to speak to us. And so it was a little odd, like the president's coming like to our dorm to do this Bible study for us. And he showed up in a suit and which was pretty typical. But as he began to talk, he began to use this kind of speaking technique and he took off his jacket and then he took off his tie and then it went further than that. He started unbuttoning his shirt and, and he stripped off his suit and he had gym shorts and a t-shirt on like he was ready to play basketball with us. And he said that, he said Guys, at the core, I might be the president, but I'm still a college kid at the core. It was pretty cool technique. I mean, it, 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 the way he presented, he just kind of pulled us in, and it ended up being a really cool Bible study. And I thought, wow, when I'm a pastor someday, I'm going to do that same thing. <laughs> then pastors stop wearing suits. So I could never do that, you know. I, that that, that illustrated, illustration went gone. I was gone, but... Uh, here it is, he took his power and authority and position, and instead of lording it over us, he chose to relate to us. He chose to connect to us. As I talk about the presence of God, I'm calling you to connect to the presence of God more, and we, we're doing that. I mean, we did it last Sunday at the worship night. We did it at our first encounter on Tuesday, and we'll hopefully do that in next Tuesday when we get a chance to regather. And some of you, though you may not have been at those particular gatherings, you have been prioritizing the presence of God in your life in other places. And here's the deal. We need God's presence, and it feels good. Sometimes we're like, the presence of God feels good because it comforts us and empowers us. It strengthens us. And we're like, thank God for his presence. But I want you to hear this. The presence of God is just not for you to feel good. The presence of God is for you to become good. Because his presence is not just a coping mechanism. His presence is a transformational encounter. When we encounter God's presence, it begins to transform us from our soul. And it makes impact to every realm of our life. And so... Today, I wanted to look at the second place I identified the Holy Spirit in Scripture. We, we talked last week about the Spirit, uh, the presence and Spirit of God looking for Adam and Eve. And now we go into one of the oldest stories of humanity. And that's the story of Noah. 
And Genesis chapter 6 is, is, starts out a little odd and a little strange. But I want you to look at verse 3 because we get some insight into humanity and into God. And then I'll present this as the word of the Lord. And the Lord said, my spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt and their days will be 120 years. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So evidently we see a transition here where mankind lived for hundreds of years. And then now we see this shift in Genesis chapter 6. And we pretty much know that 120 seems to be our cap uh, all these years later. And so there's this idea too that there needs to be a, a, I guess an end to mankind. Because left by ourselves without God in our life, we become more and more corrupt. You're going to see from the scripture today some insights into God and some insights into you. And here's the first thing I want you to understand. As we welcome God's presence and we want God's presence and we realize God's presence is accessible and God's presence draws us to him and God's presence brings life and joy and peace and love, all of those good things. You can only appreciate the power and impact of his love when you know his character and his capacity. Here's my first observation. You know it's true in your heart. The presence departs from corruption and wickedness. God's presence, because it's holy, does not dwell simultaneously with corruption and with wickedness. And obviously we start thinking about ourselves then. And maybe that is a good place to start. And we think about thoughts we have that aren't good. We think about misspoken words. We think about mistakes we've made. We think about habits we can't break. And while, yes, sometimes that can be part of our corruption and our wickedness, for those of us who know Christ, we know that the Lord has forgiven those things and he is sanctifying us and he is making us more like him. So we're on this journey with the Lord. And if you're a child of God, if you've been adopted in the family, if you've been grafted in, if you've been bought by the Lord and you've been redeemed, now your heart's no longer corrupted or wicked because God has redeemed your heart. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the work of Jesus in our lives to do what he's called us to do. But a big picture a big picture principle for this world and for us as individuals. And we know it's true in our hearts. We know that where there is wickedness and where there is corruption, God's presence will not dwell there because his presence has a sensitivity and his presence has a holiness about it. One of the things that uh, Dan Scott pointed out in his book on faith and artificial intelligence or something like that is the biblical concepts of powers and principalities, that entities themselves can have spiritual powers. And we know this as we know that, that wickedness can dwell in groups of people if we allow it. And in the early part of humanity, in Noah's days, the scripture is very clear that wickedness and evil had been, had been part of, of the social conscience of the people and in the hearts of individuals. And this wickedness was a reason why God had to respond. 
because God and his holiness respond there in a very particular way. Let's look at, let's look at um, verse 5. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth. So this is this idea of powers and principalities and entities. Now look at this. And every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. And then, the, then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl and birds of the sky for I regretted that I made them. Now we know the end of the story. We know that God promised not to do that again. So we're living in promise right now. We're living in the promise that he won't destroy the whole earth in that way again. But here it is, a very curious phrase. God regretted. Now, did, that make God, did God make a mistake? Absolutely not. He didn't make a mistake. But I, I will admit to you that this is a phrase I wrestle with too. And I think that it helps us understand in our finite ability, that feeling we have when something did not go the way it was intended. And here it was, humanity was not intended to dwell in wickedness. Humanity was not intended uh, to have every inclination of the heart to always be wrong. There is... We were made, as we talked about last week, in the image of God. And we were made to reflect the glory and the goodness and the holiness of God. That's who we're designed to be. Now, at this point, you might say, well, this is like an Old Testament thing. This is even before the Ten Commandments. This is so long ago. Does it really apply to us? Let's go to Luke chapter 17. Because Jesus was talking about the last days that we're in. And he said this in verse 26. Just as it was in the day of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man, which we're in now. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. So we begin to see here that this is a, now Jesus is using Noah and the ark as a metaphor for how he's moving in the world today. And, and he's saying, hey, just like the people were back then, people will be in the day of the Son of Man. Yeah, they'll be, they'll be getting married, they'll be eating, they'll be drinking. But if we connect that now to Genesis chapter 6, we see that the inclinations of our heart without the Lord are wicked. There is a corruption within us. Guys, that's why we need Jesus. We have the capacity, as I taught last week, to relate to God, to connect to God. Our soul has this great capacity that makes us different than any other part of creation. But we also have the capacity to live in wickedness and live in collective corruption. So when I, when I think about what happened in the days of Noah, I don't see that just only as, as a moral misstep. Those, those things are serious in the eyes of God. I also see it as a group of people who have rejected God. Humanity saying, we don't recognize a God. We don't need a God. Hey, God, we're okay. We can figure out how to rule the world and run the world. And there doesn't need to be ancient wisdom. There doesn't need to be divine revelation. There doesn't need to be objective truth. There doesn't need to be outside sources because we are okay, God. I think that the biggest manifestation of wickedness and corruption is a total 
rejection of God. Not even letting God be part of the conversation. Not letting God guide his people. But the pride of looking to ourselves, looking in ourselves, and looking out for ourselves. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 also connects to that scripture. Do you remember when it says that God grieved? We might say, well, that's an Old Testament principle. We'll look at this in Ephesians 4.30. Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. So we see this connection of a New Testament teaching to Genesis chapter 6. We see that God, God can often grieve. He can grieve in his spirit. And by his sovereignty, he grieves when there's wickedness. He grieves when people are treated unjustly. He grieves when abuse happens on this planet. God grieves when people reject his word. God grieves when people don't follow truth. God grieves when the Holy Spirit is not welcome. There's a grieving in God that wasn't just for Genesis chapter 6. It also is with us today. God has a sensitivity about him. And I want you to be aware of this because people who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit will have a sensitivity to God's sensitivity. But we can find out more about how his spirit can be grieved when we give him no consideration. His spirit can be grieved when he has no place among us. His spirit can be grieved when he is not welcome. So even for believers, I believe this, that when we have church services and we have prayer meetings, that those who are sensitive to the spirit can can see when the spirit is grieved, or sometimes we know. Now, we're not 100% right on that, but sometimes we know. I think about me, and, and uh, you know, you've probably seen me do this before. I'm not necessarily proud of this, but I could be preaching up here, and, and I use humor to connect with people and open people's heart, but I could maybe tell a joke that wins the room but grieves the spirit. And I, I pray that I don't do that. I pray that as I mature, I get... I don't do that, and I'm sorry if I've done it before. But the idea of like, oh, yeah, that's funny, but perhaps the spirits grieve and saying, wow, that, that didn't connect my heart to the people. That didn't connect my heart to the people. Those who are sensitive to the spirit will begin to grieve with the spirit or, 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 or be sensitive to what the spirit grieving. Let's put it that way. And so, so it is that the spirit has a sensitivity to sin, And I want you to hear this today because we're going to keep calling you to God's presence. He loves you. You're welcome. He wants you. He's there for you. He'll meet you at the place you are. I'll keep giving that message over and over through Jesus. But the full scope of scripture reminds us of this sensitivity and judgment that we must be aware of. Because just like the college president at my school who laid down his power to connect with his people. So it is in a much grander way, because we know all illustrations, they have their limitations. Our God is choosing to connect with us. And we shouldn't take that for granted. We shouldn't be casual with with God. We should know that his character has revealed his sensitivity and judgment. And because of that, wow, he's chosen us. And he's initiated with us. And he's close to us. And he's near to us. 
And so that's some things I can learn about God. And that's some things I can learn about us. But I want us now to go to verse seven and eight before I make the point there. Verse eight, let's go there. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. This is beautiful. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. And Noah walked with God. Guys, this is, this is what I referred to last week. Do you remember when God was searching for Adam and Eve? And he said, where are you? That search continues into this year, into the year 2024. But in the days of Noah, Noah heard that question. And Noah walked with God. And he was blameless among his contemporaries. He was different. He, he was counterculture in a way that was good and that was becoming and that was of the Lord. He was counterculture in a way that wasn't trying to bring pride and recognition to himself. He found connection with the Lord. And I, I know this is for you too, that God wants you to connect with him. It doesn't matter what the atmosphere is, you can walk with the Lord. It doesn't matter how great darkness is around you. There is a light, there is a truth, there is a love, there is a connection. There is an ability to relate to God. Let's look at verse 14. Verse 14 of Genesis 6. God told them something very unusual. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and outside. God gets very specific from this point forward. He begins to tell him exactly what the dimensions were, what the size were. You know, God's getting very specific about something unknown. And as we walk with God, he'll start getting specific with us. And, you know, there's a whole other teaching on how to hear the voice of God. But simply this, if I want to simplify it this morning, the longer you walk with God, the more you hear from God. The longer you walk with God, the easier you recognize his voice. So let's go down to verse 17. Verse 17, understand that I'm bringing a flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under the heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. This is, guys, I'll say this. This is a prototype of the covenant we're living in now. We're covenant people that God, through Christ, through Jesus, he has a covenant with us that we're not under judgment. We're under forgiveness. We're under truth. We're under life. We're we're under everlasting life. I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your son's wife, wives, excuse me. You are also to bring into the ark two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything, from the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten, gather it as food for you and for them. Now look at this scripture. And Noah did this. Look at this. He did everything that God had commanded him. Oh, I love that obedient spirit. Those who walk with the Lord will obey the Lord. Sometimes we have to obey the Lord even when the Lord tells us something unusual or or that other people don't understand. Build this ark. Build it a certain size. Why? Noah didn't know all the... You know, didn't, hadn't seen all the reason. I guess he knew the reason, but he hadn't seen a flood like that before. But he trusted the Lord 
and he obeyed the Lord. It reminds me of a wonderful, wonderful statement from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. This theologian said, just as you don't analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That's all, that's meditation. Guys, I want you to look at evidence. I want you to use reason. You can do those with scripture and that's a good thing to do. But ultimately, after you do that important work of reason, and that important research, obedience to scripture becomes a matter of love. And you love the Lord and you do what he says because you love him. And sometimes we obey the Lord when we don't understand or prefer what the Lord says. But we trust that because the Lord loves us, that he loved us first. Our obedience to him is a reflection of that love. And in the end, we will see that God is smarter, wiser, more loving than us. And he holds the future. And he knows what we need as individuals and what we need collectively as a people. So, Mo, so, so excuse me, Noah. I hope I haven't called Noah Moses. I've done that my whole life. N- Noah did what the Lord said. And look at now verse 5 of, of chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7, verse 5. And Noah did everything the Lord commanded him. Praise God. He did everything the Lord commanded him. Now go to verse 16. This is our ending point of the story. It won't be, it certainly is not the ending story. Those that entered, male and female of every creature, entered just as God had commanded, commanded him. Then the Lord shut, shut him in. After the place of obedience, then the supernatural came. Once we obey God and we use our strength, then God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And God himself shut him in the ark and preserved him and ultimately preserved us, right? Because we're descendants of Noah. So let's take this ark metaphor just a little further this morning because I think this will bless some of you. Let's use the ark as a place of separation, as a place of protection. And there are some times in our life that God says, build an ark. And this could be like, as we retreat, I mentioned, I I went to a Christian university and maybe that was an ark for me, Uh, kind of a different kind of culture. Historically, the church has had and still have monasteries where people go away to be in seclusion with the Lord. Maybe your small group uh, is a certain ark for you. You're in a small group of people you're accountable with, and that's an ark. Different functions of the church can be like an ark. Maybe sometimes God is calling you out of relationships, and that becomes an ark for you, that you need to separate yourself from certain relationships, and you need to connect with Jesus-exalting, life-giving relationships. Maybe for you that God is calling you not to go on a vacation one year and to use that money to go on a mission trip, and that mission trip becomes an ark for you. I'm going to ask you this. Is God calling you to build an ark? And is he calling you to maybe separate yourself? Not, 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 you know, not separating yourself from the kingdom of God, but separating yourself from influences in the world. And, and sometimes I think he calls us into that ark, and that sustains us. 
that gets us through tough seasons. But I want to also, though we haven't read this portion of the scripture, remind you that the ark was not forever. In case you forgot, it was 40 days and 40 nights. And of course, this could be a wider metaphor and is a wider metaphor until we get to heaven. But in our lives, we are going to use this to say that perhaps your ark isn't forever. There comes a time when the floodwaters begin to recede. And God says, leave the ark and go and multiply and explore and create. And so I think that's a different answer for different people. And maybe God's calling you and you can recognize a season where you build an ark and you protect. And then there's other times when he reopens the door and you go out and you live, explore, create, and be everything God's called you to be. I want to invite our ushers to begin to prepare themselves to distribute communion today. And as they are going, I want to answer this question. Some of you might say, this corrupted and wicked world in Genesis chapter 6, this is not the world we live in now. This is not the New Testament. I want to suggest to you and read to you the truth of Scripture. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 14. It says, do everything. This is a list, and the list is coming to an end. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. arguing. Now look at this phrase, guys. So that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless. Think about those words. Blameless, pure, faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. So guys, remember this. This is not just like a crooked and perverted generation wasn't just Old Testament times. We have to recognize that there are aspects of the generation we live in that are crooked and perverted. And this is what God says. He says, you're called to be blameless. You're called to be pure. You're called to be children of God. You're a son. You're a daughter. Among whom you shine like stars in the world. We'll go on to the rest of the scripture. By holding firm to the word of life. Go back to that previous slide. In this world that is dark, we shine. We shine as we pursue the Lord. We're not trying to earn our way to heaven. We've received eternal life. But now we are striving to be pure and blameless. We're like Noah's. We're walking with the Lord. Sometimes we build an ark and sometimes we leave the ark, but we obey the voice of the Lord. We obey the Lord. We follow the Lord. We walk with the Lord so we can understand his presence and hear his voice. And then we can obey what he's called us to do. So this is what's going to happen today. We're going to have a chance in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to pray over the communion here in a second. And we'll have a chance to plate of bread will come your way and the cup will come your way. I'm going to ask you to hold those if you can. And then I'll be back to lead us and to minister to us. And then I'm going to repent of my sin and turn to the Lord. I'm going to give you a chance to do the same too. Hey, would you join me in prayer? So Father, we do. Um, Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to shine. And Lord, we don't shine on our own Just like the stars reflect the sun, so we reflect the glory of God in this crooked and perverse generation. Lord, let us shine, not by our own abilities and by our own truth, but by your truth and by your power. And Father, as we momentarily hold the bread and cup in our hands, 
Lord, convict us of sin. Turn us to Christ. Let us follow the example of our ancestor, Noah, that we would walk with you. We would walk with you and we would obey you even when we're mocked, even when others don't understand. God, help us, oh Lord, to build the ark that you want us to have and help us to leave the ark when you've called us to leave the ark. So Father, I pray over the bread and I pray over the cup and we consecrate those for your purpose. We thank you, your presence is in the bread, your presence is in the cup. These are symbols of who you are, symbols of your power. We give these to you. And as Pastor Aubrey ministers to us, Lord, I pray, oh God, that we would fill your Holy Spirit's conviction and follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.